Last time on Video Night. Nah. And now. Hey there, Michael. Hey, what up? So, this year, we're dating this episode. This year. Are you dating? We... I Finally, I'm not alone anymore. <laughs> 2019, we saw one of the greatest action franchises get another film and that's john wick john wick 3 it which um it's got john wick of course which is keanu reeves it's got halle berry doing a pretty great ca- extended cameo i guess she's a, it's a supporting role but she actually gets a lot of cool stuff to do it at a certain point and then throughout there's also the heavy which is usually a stunt person or a i guess a, a, a i don't i don't know if it's a it's stunt casting like ruby rose was the last heavy uh and before yeah, that Dana Bernhardt, right? Exactly. That's what I was going to say. Featured heavies. And this one is Mark DeCosicos, right? Have you seen John Wick 3? I don't. Don't tell me anything about it. La, 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 la. La, 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 la. So I take it that you haven't. But no, what haven't. you have seen are these four movies that we're going to talk about, which heavily feature Mark DeCosicos. This is like your favorite, right? Definitely top three. Maybe my favorite. Maybe your favorite. Okay. So... The first movie that we're going to talk about is Double Dragon. I'm joking. It's not true, but we can talk about it for a second. Well, yeah. That was in an episode of Trash Cinema. <laughs> Did I, you like it? I, I argue that there is not a single good movie based on a video game. Oh, with but there is. In it. But there <laughs> is. But there <laughs> is, including well, the okay, hold on. I director say, I, of Crying Freeman. I forgot. I haven't seen Silent Hill. Sorry. Yes, yes. <laughs> So we just named the director of Crying Freeman, Christoph Gantz, and then also said just now, and then we got away from it really quickly, and you didn't answer the dang question. Double Dragon. Okay, okay, sorry. This is what I do to Andrew. I, I distract him. I, uh, I, I, <laughs> no, I no, cause what, him what? editing problems. I cause <laughs> editing problems later. <laughs> okay, Double Dragon. What do you think? Real quick. Dumb? Okay. Good? Um, there's bits and pieces. I liked it when I was younger, uh, and I watched it a couple years ago for an episode of Trash Cinema. It, in the video game Echelon, it's upper. Um, there's stuff that doesn't work. I think a lot of it has to plain and simply do with the fact that Imperial Entertainment that produced it didn't have a lot of money. Not that Double Dragon was story heavy in the first place. Most video games aren't. Right. So that's where I think a lot of the problems lies with. And also it's like a director who doesn't care about the material. I felt like the director was like, this could be fun. I, you know, he cast it very well. I thought, I thought they were all game for, you know, the kind of goofy you know, tongue-in-cheek martial arts movie. I think it's better than Mortal Kombat. Shots fired! What? No, no, you're right. You're absolutely right. See, LB and I, uh, my wife, your friend, we watched all these, like, tournament-style or punch em up video game adaptations <laughs> this year. Oh, and there's that a was, lot. That was the one that... Tekken. <laughs> I believe... Uh, no, we haven't gotten to Tekken, actually. But we did watch, I think double dragon as the first one and we're like okay mortal kombat's next okay street fighter's next and like double dragon is still the cream of those three yeah well it's also it's also look at the potential each one had and how many of them squandered it yeah that's a big part when you look at movies like i said tekken there's no way on earth that cost 30 million dollars it did not happen dead or alive there's no way that cost 60 million dollars wait quick wait tekken from 20 uh 10 or something something yeah uh i did i watched that on my own not with her but i watched that on my own and as a tournament movie or whatever it's fine the 
Eddie Eddie Chen, I think the actor's name is, I forget. He played in Rush Hour, the TV show. Oh, yes. Okay, yeah. He's pretty good. And I yeah. haven't seen the sequel to that, which doesn't feature him. It is, well, when you go, I seriously don't believe it was $30 million. But then, like, this, apparently part two is like a $3 million budget with Shokasugi's kid. Oh, I watched okay. I watched maybe 10 minutes of it, and I was out. I was, oh. nope, nope. Okay. All right. All right. Yeah. All right. So, but yeah, those competition movies. Double Dragon does the one thing I think that gets it doesn't away. even have a competition. That right. Just gangs, right? Yeah. It's just it's it's just a brawler. It's a fun brawler movie with tons of cheeky one-liners. Robert Patrick is fun. How did we get on Double Dragon for so long? <laughs> <laughs> well, hold on, hold on. One last thing. It's like the Universal Studios water themed stunt show that's what that movie is that that is yeah there's a lot of uh matt early matt is it digital mats or what do you think that is because uh, you can both. tell yeah i just think a bobo is ridiculous and it's really yeah, the only that's... way you can approach it is that he's a completely absurd yeah yeah, yeah. Uh, anyway anyway that was just yeah. me throwing a wrench into this book uh no no show already. well I, I don't think we have to <laughs> though because here's the thing is not a lot of people know who mark Cascos is they might right. know his early films, like Only the Strong was a big video hit. It didn't play well in theaters. Double Dragon cable. was big. Yeah. yeah, it was big on video and cable. It didn't do well in theaters. <laughs> so we find ourselves in 1995 where he's still sellable to international markets. Absolutely. Maybe not so much in America. So no. Crying Freeman. Once in every generation, there comes a perfect killer. An assassin who never fails. They call him... The Freeman, a king in his own world, until he was transformed by love. They want this killer, and unless we deliver him in 40 hours, there's going to be a gang war. We want the woman. She knows the laws of the underworld. No. She's with the Freeman. She is his mate. I want the Freeman. And your tears. They say all Freeman carry a special curse. Perhaps they are mine. Crying Freeman. Is that weird testing zone, and I, it, it boggles my mind that this sat around. For decades. <laughs> okay, decades so, unreleased so you're like, Craig Freeman, I'm like, how did you get a hold of it? But you know how I get a hold of things. I've got, you know, uh, Google Foo, if you will. Uh, yeah, or a guy with a trench coat. Yeah, yeah. Some, no, no, no. Import no. videos. Import videos. <laughs> sort of. <laughs> Not, yeah, via the internet. So, you know, I, I swear I've been trying to get through Crying Freeman. Every time I watch it, I kind of fall asleep. Yeah. I brought this up because it's important to his career and there's a good story behind it, but you're, it's very of 1995. So, of 1995. You took the slow mo out of it. It's 18 minutes long. <laughs> <laughs> okay. All of that is the love letter to John Woo. Yes. This is decidedly done by Christoph Gantz. Now, Christoph well, no, Gantz, Christoph has a slower style anyway. Well, right? sure. He's he's deliberate a lot, uh, but he's gotten tighter and tighter and tighter as you go along. Now, the first movie that he did was actually just a segment, probably the best segment of Necronomicon. That that's another out. movie that's kind of lost, right? Yeah, yeah. That, it was, was on video here, but it's 1993 kind of, uh, video, VHS, uh, not on DVD. You can get it European 
cuts of it and whatever. And his episode was with Bruce Payne about the house that, you know, has a Cthulhu monster in it or something. And it was actually decent for what it was, but that's his first thing. But Christoph Gantz was a sci-fi action anime Japanophile. He's French. He actually wrote a zine for a while while he was in college. But he is a lawyer. Did you know this? And he no. Quit, he, he quit being a lawyer, and I don't know what kind of lawyer, but he quit to make movies. So be funny if he was an ambulance chaser. He <laughs> just real low level, like in brain donors. <laughs> like just uh, just awful sleep. Like I suck at this. Let's go write some movies. Yeah, it's like the story of every fan filmmaker. They end up becoming a filmmaker. Yeah. And that's his story. And he adapted the manga. I I, I think it was an anime at one point too, Crying Freeman, which is a very dramatic story about a potter who gets blackmailed into being an assassin but the trick is that he's a master assassin without ever actually learning how to do it he just is that good and he's, he's like a mind control junk going on with some old witch that does acupuncture and then brainwash tells him a certain word that's a trigger word then he's ready to receive the mission and then he goes and assassinates but the thing is he's got a soul because every time he kills somebody he cries <laughs> And this is actually the movie that he met his wife on. Correct, yeah, Julie Condor, who I think, the only thing I know her from besides this is Erie, Indiana. Yes, Erie, Indiana, indeed. Which is Twin Peaks for kids, basically. Uh, including having a cast member from Twin Peaks show up. Uh, Deputy Andy from Twin Peaks shows up as a sheriff in that show from time to time. It's, yeah. del- it's decidedly, let's go, Twilight Zone meets Twin Peaks for kids. Yeah, I love it. Absolutely. Love and it. I... she plays the big sister who's Correct. just kind of like, uh, get off my back, kid. You know, like typical big sister. But here, she's she's what, an artist as well? She's a painter? Correct, yeah. What's her deal? It's, it's so funny. The opening is just her on a cliff painting like a mountain. And she just happens to be there when he is doing, an, uh, you know, taking down some of these guys he's hired to kill. And he decides not to kill her, which becomes a big driving point in this. His handler, Byron Mann, is like, what are you doing? We never leave any witnesses behind kill her kill her now or i'm going to do it for you yeah so there's that tension but you know i think by if correct me if i'm wrong because i finally made it through this week on this film so correct my memory byron ends up being on his side about keeping her alive yeah i think halfway through it he decides to to switch on that one the movie is actually more complicated than you ever expect for i mean what a five million dollar international action movie you would think that they wouldn't be this complicated because it's the kind of thing they have to sell to all sorts of different audiences it's not dialogue heavy and it's not exactly action heavy it's mood heavy oh very this is why i think i fall asleep a lot during it Uh, i've made attempts prior to this assignment for this episode i've made many attempts to watch this film and of course my rickety version versus the one that's on amazon prime right now amazon prime has the pristine version oh Uh, okay i haven't seen that one i watched the the you know rickety yes old rickety uh yeah Uh, which isn't even that bad it's still pretty good looking but the amazon prime one they got it very recently they got it what a year and a half ago Two years ago, what took so long? Do you know the story at all? What happened? I I I really don't. I think it's just a distribution thing, uh, American distribution. Like, there's certain things that Americans just don't want. There's like an envelope of time in which John Woo movies were great. Yeah, but I I, missed it. I remember maybe the distribution company was asking too much money. You Mm -hmm. know what I mean? Like they didn't want to water it down for junk and get it sent straight to video. Maybe he was just desperate because Samuel Hadida, for the most part, I think all his movies do go to theaters. Davis Mm -hmm. films, stuff like that. You know, the guys behind this, they're theatrical guys. I still remember 
this is jumping ahead a little bit. When Brotherhood of the Wolf was red hot, I read in, I'm pretty sure it was Variety, there was an article there down on the bottom front page that it got picked up for Universal. It said, you know, because they were talking about the box office Brotherhood of the Wolf. Huh. And it says as part of the they, deal. They just fell. Yeah, just part of the deal away. is that they grabbed the rights to Crying Freeman and it just kept waiting for it. And I, who is the distributor now? Does Amazon own the rights? Is that it? Um, I, I don't think they own the rights, but whomever wants to get something on Amazon, there's a certain channel that you go through with like uh, proprietary whatever stuff on amazon oh right you can sell and, right you can sell your own movies on there right? yeah yeah you can okay. put your own movie up for about two to five thousand dollars for a specific envelope of time to get views and whatever and download this reminds me of another i want to say it's the same company or maybe it was a company that did drive they did fist of the north star around oh, right. the same time who was Which that was tony randall did that chintzy oh, what a cheap low budget like just if crying freeman looks low budget at five million i'm guaranteeing you fist the North Star cost but the thing two. is with crying <laughs> freeman it actually looks very good it yes very good aesthetic uh well he uses he uses set pieces that are cheap and affordable he shot in toronto for one a lot and of the last woods. half of the movie takes place like <laughs> yeah in the woods so, and but the how he uses the camera the lens work and everything it's not just a, oh that's true that's true it is it's it not is. honestly it's not an isaac florentine movie or whatever okay that guy knows how to shoot action which you like right yes but no visual but the visual style is is lacking in those action movies and this one is all visual style right Uh, it's a heavy european flair so i'm not gonna say i hate this movie i really do appreciate it and i i like when mark dacascos gets uh moments to shine and here it's a it's a lot of double fist pistol sort of stuff it's all John Woo love, yeah. really. So, uh, and, and and his voice is a lot higher and softer back then when he's uh, a young man, <laughs> as opposed to later when he's utilized much, actually much better. And that's does it talk like this? Oh yeah. <laughs> <laughs> no, no. You, you know, at one point he did uh, Iron Chef America. I that. Yeah, yeah. He was the Iron Chef or the Chef Master, whatever the guy is, the master. He's the guy that bestows the winner with his prize. That's pretty funny to me. I had a friend who was so disappointed. He thought it was real. He, what? honest to God, thought it was real. He thought that was really the Iron Chef's nephew or son or whatever it was. And when he found out that he was an actor, he was heartbroken. And I'm like, what? <laughs> Have you not seen television's The Crow? <laughs> Someone called Marty Cascos the low-budget version of Brandon Lee, and I no. say, are you basing this solely on the fact of the Crow TV show? Because he was so different. Here's the thing. It's funny that most of the big martial art actors were monoslavic. They were very stoic, either because they couldn't handle the dialogue because they were foreign, and they couldn't grasp the language as well, or right. they were just one of those guys that just didn't talk very much. That was kind of the thing, a Chuck Norris thing, a David Carradine thing. Mark Cascos and Brandon Lee were the best of the bunch at the time and sadly we lost brandon and then mark somehow just didn't cut through even though clearly he is appealing to families of women you know stuff like that he, he he's <laughs> men um, well yes but i mean i'm just saying well he no had the, that thing. the man the man is a beautiful person he has Absolutely but he also beautiful he has boyish charm. He has yes. talent. He has legitimate talent. I'm not going to say he's an Oscar winner, but compared to most people in that field, he has range and, and, and charm. Yeah. Oh, he does have range. He's got tons of range. As what this list is an example of, honestly, Drive. Call off the search in Hong Kong. Toby Wong just hit Frisco. Toby Wong was made to survive anything. But now... Hong Kong's greatest living weapon 
is on the run from his creator. Prepare a group of our finest. You're going hunting. And his one ticket to freedom... You follow me, he dies. ...is sorry they ever met. Under arrest! I'm the kidnappee! He's the kidnapper! The only thing worse than being killed... We're going down. I ain't going down there! We're going! Die! ...is becoming partners. Los Angeles! You better start talking. I want to know why we being chased. Biological energy module. I have one in my chest. You help me get to L.A., I'll give you half the money. What do you say? <laughs> oh, man. It'll flip your wig, cousin. Where's the party at? Where's the party at? Oh, oh. Mark Dacascus. I've got a funny feeling we're going to see some familiar faces. Kadeem Hardison. Well, your definition of funny and mine must be completely different because I don't see a damn thing funny. And Brittany Murphy. You want to do mine? This is the original Five Fingers of Death right here. You mentioned that movie is his foray into action buddy movie territory. Yeah, mixed with the Jackie Chan style fighting. Yes, which I'm, I'm going to say the beginning of the movie with the little weirdo CD iPod thing. That didn't make much sense to me that he has this iPod. He's like sneaking around and then he takes the time to look at this device and see the photo of his lost love. And then, you know, that's his motivation to kick some butt Close so you're saying it. are you saying the placement of when it happens yes weird? or the fa- yes, simple yes, fact okay absolutely so but but you, because... you understand why that was kind of necessary why it belonged like the director wanted to keep it in so you kind of get his motivation but you, yeah you, but you, like you, have you seen like, both cuts uh yes uh i believe i have I, i've definitely seen the long one yeah they cut out a lot of malik's stuff you know about his family and character building stuff for both of them and you know that that intro they changed the music and stuff like that and they focused more on making it what he said was more like a mortal Kombat style movie you know huh? so just action 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 they replaced oh. the, the orchestral stuff with techno so they're just trying to make it more sellable that way and i'm going to stick with the director's cut i know the print isn't as good it looks like it's you know almost like a work print quality where it has a foggy shadowy you know what i mean no my, mine was good okay because the one i saw wasn't I, I need to get a better version but yeah. this for me is my favorite martial arts movie i am absolutely bananas for this i had a poster on my wall in 1998 in my dorm um wow i so you, went you went and yeah. got the videotape somehow. oh yes how did you learn about drive uh, I learned about it on Entertainment Tonight. There was a small snippet. This is when there's always a puff piece. It seemed as filler in these episodes. Uh, it, it seemed like these lower budget companies would send them, hey, like a five minute thing about the making of this movie. An um, EPK. Yeah, I almost wonder if they sold it to Entertainment Weekly or Entertainment Weekly was just, well, I mean, it's a daily show for five days. They have to fill it with something. So you would see stuff like I saw The Peacekeeper with Dolph Lundgren and Montel Williams. And I was like, okay, that's cool. And <laughs> uh, they promoted, well, okay, it's, it's better than most Dolph Lundgren stuff around this time trust me um <laughs> it's uh montel williams is terrible uh but i remember them that's promoting kind of my laugh yeah 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 um uh, god awful <laughs> um but then but then they showed like one of those weeks they showed drive and he goes this is the first american production a the hong kong style action film and I'm like that sounds rad and then mark would display like okay so in an american movie you would move like this but in a hong kong style movie you do the move like this it's it's a totally different it, like almost like a ballet quality to the movement well you just mentioned ballet quality i got a little bit of info it's yes. from the picking opera so you go back and you look at Jackie Chan. Let's talk about Jackie Chan because you mentioned Jackie Chan style. So Jackie Chan movies and the, the three brothers, Sammo Hung and Yu and Bao, those guys were raised 
from children on up into adulthood in the Peking Opera. And if you watch any of the Peking Opera, the whole thing is very rhythmic. Hit, 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 swoop, hit, hit, kick, jump, hit, hit, hit. It's always got a rhythm. Yeah, it's so, like a Gene Kelly, but of martial arts. Like there's yeah, a, but, a, a musical But the element. rhythm is also like, yes, definitely. But it's like, it's like a click. A lot of like the early Jackie Chan stuff is like click, click, click. You know, the hand moves. Okay. Uh, very, very clicky. And, and a lot of like including Wu-Tang and all those, a lot of that stuff comes from that information. It was informed by the Peking Opera. And then as Jackie Chan kept going, he became more environmental, not exactly as um, operatic, but he you had to telegraph the moves. You had to make the moves look very good. So it's not Kung Fu that would actually work in the real world. That's like what Bruce Lee did. Bruce Lee also did this stuff where he telegraphed his movement for the camera but when he's not when he's actually on the mat fighting a guy he doesn't telegraph anything and the guy's down in a second you know okay that that fight that bruce lee does so the moves are more dramatic they're theatrical quick one inch punch type thing doesn't look good but it does the damage so but when he does the film it has to look good so he, it's actually a lot slower it's a lot you, you see the shoulder round and all that stuff yeah as he's throwing the punch and this is what mark dacascos was his american stuff was really standard honestly well and, the capoeira thing that was unusual at the time sure but i find that movie to be kind of dumb like capoeira is a really interesting and fun looking martial art but as far as a combat style it's useless Oh, pretty much. I know. It's it's more cinematic than anything else. So when he's doing the, the moves and then he just like does like this breakdance move where he's pa- pausing and his leg pops and hits the guy on top of the head, there's no quickness to it. It's just, yeah, exactly what you said. It's just for the movie. But it's actual. It's an actual martial art, but it's all exhibition stuff. You can't really fight that stuff. Fun fact, the script for Only the Strong started off as Breaking 3, but then Cannon went broke. What? I'm making that up. Ah, oh my you. goodness. <laughs> Me, I like the breaking movie. <laughs> you do. <laughs> but not Beat Street. He wants nothing to do with Beat Street. No, I do. I like I Beat Street. It's One of just, these days, I want to do a hip hop. I just want to do a hip hop episode where we talk about tougher than leather and disorderlies and stuff like that of the 80s. Uh, <laughs> but speaking of hip hop, this movie drive doesn't have any in it. Which is interesting, because usually a movie like this would have, like, it's got Kadeem Hardison, let's throw in some record scratching, and you know? But he's yeah. just a songwriter, and he's just writing legit songs. He's not writing hip-hop or anything, which is actually a rather interesting take on it. Also, the director of Drive, Stephen Wang, do you know what he's done before this? Giver! The Giver. And apparently and the, Kung Fu Rascals, which I didn't know about. Yeah, oh, The Giver and The Giver 2 and Kung Fu Rascals. Have you ever heard of Kung Fu Rascals? Uh, I have not seen it. I didn't even know it existed until Scott mentioned it during our interview a little bit ago. Uh, did he mention that Les Claypool from Primus was in it? Good! What? Huh? <laughs> yes. Okay, yeah. Wait, anyway, wait, was so, his character, was, the character, was it named Mud? <laughs> no, but he was a villain. Yeah, anyway, uh, that's that's just really odd, odd stuff. So, But Stephen Wang is a special effects guy. That's the thing. Like, the guy first Giver movie I didn't quite like second Giver movie is a lot better the suits the monsters on all of the Giver movies are great and the bio armor suit is really cool looking I would love for there to be a sequel to the Giver movies or a reboot 
I imagine at this point it'd be a reboot. Yeah, I'm sure it would be. But Drive, what what's the story here? Uh, it's basically Martin Castle's character has a turbo drive installed in him. He got a ton of money, which he needed. Right, he needs to bring his girlfriend over, correct? Well, yeah, but she's like she's like held over his head. Gotcha. You have to do the job for us. My or God, else. I've seen that. I've seen this movie 20, 20 times. I didn't even catch that. Most of the time, though, I've seen the original cut. I've only seen the director's cut a couple times. Let's stop this episode. So, We're gonna watch so, it again. No. <laughs> so the motivation is is that he he's like she's she's his motivation to do all i never caught the ransom part well it's um, it's not ransom but, but it's like ransom you know like you better do it or else Oh, gotcha, okay. So he's delivering the turbo drive, not to the people it's supposed to go to. He doesn't want it in him anymore, he doesn't want to work for these people, he's delivering it to somebody else, and he's outrunning this whole crew. It's it's like two different crews. One's run by John Piper Ferguson, who is absolutely hilarious in this. He kills me. And Tracy Walter. And then there's the other crew, the guy... Tracy from- Walter, wait! that That's the weirdest casting in this movie, is Tracy Walter. Yes, is it? It's so strange. Because there are certain scenes in which the Tracy Walter character actually does some acting action stuff but it's obviously a stuntman dressed up as him and i just can't imagine that that character would actually do anything yeah it's tracy walter (laughs) but it's this movie's weird by the way this isn't like a normal martial arts movie it definitely has like a different there's always like the fact it's slightly in the future it's got this oddball character the the funny dialogue the frog (laughs) what's up wait explain the frog i don't remember walter the einstein frog they're always watching this tv show oh yes yeah 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 yeah. wait the frog that is a special effect thing so much like mandy with the cheddar goblin they just did this silly special effect thing and they they just threw that up there right the einstein frog i forgot but now i remember yeah it was just some silly special effect when i was watching mandy i was just thinking of that i was like this is kind of like that the um okay okay we're off the so basically he's on the run this movie's a very go movie it doesn't stop a lot for uh, exposition it kind of it's on the go as it gives the exposition and it's just basically he's on the go he runs into kazim hardison in this bar he ends up connected to them they get handcuffed together and they're on the run to get to los angeles where they're gonna sell the thing out of his chest and it's just non-stop action the whole way except for some weird they stop along the way at a motel which is run by Brittany murphy whose parents are on vacation right and they're doing remodeling yeah and she is woolly inappropriate for running this way she is not exactly all there. she's she's not necessarily all there but she's it's a really fun and funny and strange and even sexy performance all of her choices are strange in this but i think it works you know you like these little anecdotes i met her once what yeah i was at a phantom planet show and i was in the embarrassing predicament of but i'm on the list because Uh... i was supposed to be on the list and i had a girlfriend at the time and i also knew diva zappa and i saw diva zappa and i was like hey diva and she's like, hey, Andrew. I'm like, you're on the list? She's like, yeah, but I'm already, I, I only got the two tickets, whatever. I'm like, I'm supposed to be. Because the thing is, I did artwork for Phantom Planet. I knew their road manager or whatever. She was supposed to get me on the list. So she's like, hold on, Brittany Murphy's right there. So she walked over to Brittany Murphy and introduced me and explained my situation. And Brittany opened up her purse and she had like a handful of tickets. What? Like, I guess for an entourage or something. But she was super sweet. And I said to her, I liked you in Cherry Falls. And she got super embarrassed. She's like, oh, no, that's a terrible movie. I was like, no, it's not. You were great. And she said, well, thank you. And then she gave me two tickets. Not for, she was going to give me two tickets anyway. And it was just like, she's just darling, super darling. 
and I was mortified when I learned that she died. Yes. And how? Especially since I had such a good moment with her. It was really nice. You know, she was she was darling. So when I see her do stuff like she did in Drive, it reminds me of that. Like like Anton Yelkin. We lost somebody. Like we really lost somebody. So somebody unique. They had an energy that no one else had. Yeah. But not to bring this down, let's bring it back to Mark DeCosicos. What do you think of, of the action that he does, that he brings to this? Is it this you said is your favorite martial arts action movie, and I know you watch a lot of Scott Atkins movies too, so Scott Atkins is now to the point where I'm kind of bored with him. He's been very very repetitive 10 years ago when i saw ninja it blew my mind and i just feel like like the cascos it's a lot of wasted potential because i think atkins does have some talent that he could well he showed up in dr strange and stuff like that so he's still in studio stuff yeah the cascos is better because i feel like every movie i've seen him in is so different and that might be also his downfall because he would do stuff i mean he's he's manny and uh inspector and uh, inspector moreau uh island of inspector moreau i i i combined in island of dr moreau with uh inspector clouseau and now i want to see island of inspector clouseau oh you're silly man i want to see him create a pig man and call him your swine uh it would be a pink panther man yes i just did that <laughs> that's silly oh you're saying no, okay so he did drive and then after this he did like uh sabotage which is a sniper movie he doesn't do much martial arts oh boogie boy boogie, boogie boy he doesn't do so... any martial arts that's a drama uh, well, yeah at the like end at the end there's a at the end there's a very very good action sequence but it's not martial arts heavy it's more just brutal like close fighting yeah Okay. He did DNA, which is like a Predator-style movie, which I loved at the time. It's not very good. Uh, <laughs> I was thinking, just like he was just doing all sorts of random stuff. He would do TV shows. You know, he would show up on The Flash. He showed up on, you know, like crime shows. He did The Crow TV show. You know, it, his contemporaries were like Don the Dragon Wilson and the kickboxer kind of guys. And which he did one of the kickboxers as well. Did. Which I don't, I don't think it was originally Kickboxer Five. I think it was something else, and they and they they edited, retitled it. it. Yeah. Well, he's better than his contemporaries. I think a lot of times. I mean, the guy in that they, I mentioned in, or you mentioned in John Wick, the first one. He, that guy's working strong. He actually ended up showing up in Atomic Blonde as well as one of the yeah. Oh, he's great in Atomic Blonde. Well, I mean, I think, but like Daniel that Barnhart... guy, yeah, Daniel. That's his name, Daniel Bernhardt. Uh, like these are working action dudes, right? Not leading men, and he though he was a leading man, a lot of directed video stuff. Yeah, it was all like he was supposed. To, he was positioned to be because we're never going to talk about Daniel Bernhardt again. So I'm going to say it. Van Damme. He was, he was positioned to be a Van Damme replacement. He even did the Bloodsport two, three, and four, and then he kind of just faded off. He did like the Mortal Kombat TV show and some real, real low working stuff. stunt actor, right? Actor like like Matt McComb, and both of them were in the Matrix. Uh, two and that didn't help them very much but lately I've noticed over the last five years I think the first time I saw him like in a significant role in a studio film was Parker and he has mm-hmm. a really great fight have you seen that one? yeah I have he has that great fight in the uh, the balcony with Jason Statham and I was like oh that's interesting I haven't seen him in a while and then he shows up a wick and one of the greatest fight sequences ever that goes on like just amazingly long time and I think it's a single cut in Atomic Blonde yeah uh, well the deal is these, these guys and it gives us hope because these guys are now older and and they are in 
what seems to be their prime, including Keanu Reeves, including Mark DeCostacos. They're now in this like resurgence of their abilities. And yeah. well, it's also embracing older actors. We had this after Taken, where we tried to get some of these leading guys. But uh, you know, you watch Taken, it, it's wrong. You watch, especially the last Taken, it's nineteen cuts for him to climb God. over a fence. It's so irritating. I stopped halfway through because first off, he's getting innocent people killed. It's, it's <laughs> mind-boggling. The stuff's it's like, what are you doing? This is not your thing. But the cuts. Oliver Megaton is the worst mainstream director I have ever seen get constant work. I don't understand. I prefer what Jackie Chan was doing, what Bruce Lee was doing with the way they would help with how they shot action sequences, the, the way they were at. Yes, yeah. let me see what's going on because yeah. when you do a lot of fast edits, I don't believe it's happening. It's like the way right. when you shoot someone uh, playing piano, but if you don't pull back and show the hands with the face, I don't buy it. Right. So let's Talking get ballproof to... monk. <laughs> let's get to Brotherhood of the Wolf. Yes. A mysterious beast is ravaging the countryside. No man, woman, or child can escape it. The blood-stained hills mark its path. But now, two men have come to face the challenge and confront the evil. Where no soldier or hunter could prevail, these men will not rest until it's destroyed. Universal Pictures and Studio Canal proudly present to American audiences the French motion picture sensation Brotherhood of the Wolf. Also, Christoph Gantz. And now I thought, well... Is there another Mark Dacascos movie that we should talk about other than Crying Freeman? Other than, but we already did. It was super. It was a uh, Double Dragon, Super Mario Dragon. <laughs> <laughs> Is that where you were going with that one? Yeah, yeah I didn't mean to, but yeah. <laughs> uh, but really, this movie, I I found the director's cut of it. It's you can get it on Amazon. It is a Korean released all region blu-ray of it toot sweet chef's kiss as they say it's a really good product it's a really good blu-ray yes. uh, uh, i oh, oh you mean the, are you talking about the movie or just the disc the the movie i mean what's the, the one you sent director's me director's cut I, I sent you just the regular cut oh okay that that was, seemed... that's all that was available to us and i can't tell you the difference between them except the length <laughs> it's a longer movie the director's cut i'm not sure what was left out this is like the second movie and this is the first movie that hit american shores from christoph gantz and it was treated like it was a premiere picture like it was uh contemporary to last of the mohicans or something you know you know the early days of interacting with actors and or, you know people in entertainment it wasn't social media it wasn't twitter it wasn't facebook myspace it was hey i have a page you go to it and you contact me and you know after drive he put up his own page and i was really excited about it. i contacted him i by the way i still have my autographed photo from crow stairway to heaven from him so i kind of stuck around checking his updates and he would show movies coming out like the base and stuff like that would come out and by the way there is a follow-up to drive in a way that kadeem hardison teamed up again with mark cascos uh I, I don't even remember the title but i just remember it was horrible it was one of the worst pieces of crap i've ever seen in my life everybody it's so insanely brutal i'm not gonna tell you name forget it but i always wanted to see them team up again i thought that'd be great so i always just kind of followed them and they were talking about trying to do another movie stink wang and mark cascos and it just kept mm -hmm. falling through and then he announced that he was re-teaming with 
with Christoph Gans. I almost believe that before Brotherhood of the Wolf is when they were going to do Captain Nemo. It was a hmm. 40... 40 million dollar movie they had uh funding set up but they couldn't get anybody to you know like set up a distribution deal ahead of time to help curb the cost of the production deal and it fell apart and i would love to see a captain nemo movie hmm. what's what's one that he has right now going too? christoph gantz has another one like corto martiz with Casco's attached as well they get along very well i don't apparently. know i don't know i haven't looked it up but oh uh, but but that's when he said it didn't happen so now we're working on something else and he was just giving updates the whole way through so i knew what was going on brotherhood of the wolf about two years before it ever actually came out oh interesting so when it did finally come out did you see it in the theater this is when i was crippled uh i could i crippled yeah you don't know about this i'm you i've known you for almost a decade and i've known you for more than a decade you didn't know i was crippled i don't think so i uh from september 2000 to guys it's 2003 like late 2003 i got hurt really bad i it was something that was building for a long time i just kept getting this hideous pain which felt like a hernia doctors kept checking it out i got nerve injections i got chiropractic help with the chiropractor like a lot of chiropractors they're just there to pop you get their money and and have you back in a few days they don't actually teach you stretches counter exercises that's a more of a physical therapist thing which i should have gone through okay long story yeah, sorry so what i could the... my back was so bad it couldn't sit your could back how sit. did it happen it sounds so embarrassing okay so it's a long build-up i got in a very very okay we were out in the middle of the country listening to weird al's bad hair day we just got it and we saw we heard there was gonna be a comet flying over so we went out to the middle of nowhere this is indiana nowhere and we saw it, and then we drove back. I popped in Bad Hair Day and started doing that polka remix. God, I just can't believe I'm telling the story. We're doing that. <laughs> but it's starting to pick up, and the guy who's driving the car decides to drive faster and faster and faster. And I'm screaming at him, but at this point, to slow down. I am scared to death. Yes. And the road stops. There's no more road. <gasps> and we fly. Wait, we go... is, there's no more road, but is there a cliff? Is there just there's gravel? A... No, nah, it's just a, it's a cornfield, but there's a big dip down to it. We go flying off the road. Thank God it wasn't like a metal guardrail. Thank God, because I you I'd have I'd be like, really crippled or I'd be dead. We go flying off into the field, very far into the field, and land. And I slam my tailbone down very very hard. Oh gosh! And it hurt very, it hurt for a while, but he begged me not to go to a doctor because he didn't want to deal with the insurance on it and stuff like that. And he's like one of my best friends, so I just didn't. So slowly over the next few years, the pain was start building up, building up, building up. And I was riding bike one day on bike trails, whatever, and I slammed down really hard and i felt like someone had taken my testicle and rammed it up into my chest oh jeez! and just kept getting worse and worse we're trying to figure out during that whole time why nothing like i'm going to they're checking me for hernias they're checking me for tears they're checking me for cancer a tumor stuff like that uh, very expensive very embarrassing and it got to the point where i couldn't even take the stairs i couldn't sit i just laid on an ice pack on the couch watching tv for years the last movie I saw was Get Carter, and then I went to the drive-in in 2001 to see Ghost of Mars and <laughs> American Outlaws. I go to the drive-in because I could lay down in the back. Yeah, right. But I couldn't right. go to the theater and sit. I could. I didn't even go to my best friend's wedding because I couldn't stand. I couldn't sit, and I, I was just in hell. Wow. So, so where I'm at right now is kind of impressive, but I still have a lot of like lower back pain constant. Yeah, I understand. I, I fidget a lot. Right. So I couldn't go to the theater. There, that's a long-winded way of telling that story. Well, but that's okay. what I think that's what separates our show, though, from everybody else is that we kind of interlace our personal stuff with these. Yeah. My sister, oddly enough, is the one who saw this. I saw the oh. trailers for it, and they were pushing it to be the next uh, Crouching Tiger, Hidden Tiger, Dragon. Tiger, Hidden Dragon, yes. Which, it was very which, prestige. Sony which, for some reason, is proud to present. I couldn't get into Crouching Tiger, even though at that point I was kind of 
crazy for that style. I was into Chai and Fat. I was watching tons of Jet Li movies. I was watching the Once Upon a well, Time. Well, the difference Ch- between Jet Li's Once Upon a Time in China sequels and all that and Crouching Tiger, Hidden Dragon is Ang Lee is a very, very long, drawn out, some would say boring storyteller. Yeah, I think the only one I like is Ice Storm, I think. I don't know. Oh, not the Hulk? No, I know you like the Hulk. I don't. I, I know just, people I like it. transitions in the comic book kind of sense, but that movie's so daffy. The, uh, we'll give it a shot someday, maybe down the road. The films of Eric Bana! <laughs> <laughs> but I saw this in the theater. I went and saw it. I was hanging out with my buddy Steve, and we went after these types of movies so like we saw equilibrium in the theater which wasn't local to us it was like um, 40 miles away type of thing we flew here (laughs) no it was a couple cities over so it was not too bad but like we went and saw that in brotherhood of the wolf yeah and we were impressed with brotherhood of the wolf also that it's set up like it's a horror film there's horror all over this thing but it's not what you think you see, I think that's what I like about a lot of Mark Casco's movies is because they're hodgepodge films. They're mixing of genres and stuff like that. Now, did you think that the other actor, sorry, he's a French dude. I don't remember his name. Uh, was No, that's Thomas similar... Jane, isn't it? It's got to be no, Thomas Jane. No, no. I was yeah. thinking I was thinking I am Thomas Jane. To... <laughs> Thomas Jane. I was thinking that he was similar to uh, Christophe Lambert. Yeah, I can see that too. But without the sort of cross-eyed nature. Okay. He's, he's not too cross-eyed, but his eyes are narrow and sometimes it looks like he's cross-eyed yeah christopher well it's because he's uh myopic or something like that like he literally cannot see uh, so it would cause issues on highlander did we talk about this in the highlander episode right right he's super blind yeah um so he just he's (laughs) staring off he's staring off his glasses and he's okay i'm sorry i don't mean to be a jerk about that thing yeah you know what's funny is this is another one of those i lived in a very very small town in indiana we didn't get movies like this so that was another uh thing i couldn't just go to my local theater to see it i would have to travel to the independent theaters in fort wayne and how did you find it a video just rented it when it came out I waited eagerly for the day it came out. Okay. So the story is werewolves are attacking France and the aristocracy is like, yes, yes, yes. Let's bring in some hunters to kill the werewolf because it's a werewolf or it's a wolf monster. It's some sort of wolf beast. But the thing, dude, it's based on a true story. What? It's it's inspired by a true story, yes. But the true story does not... We have no idea what this conspiracy thing is. This is just movie conjecture. What the true story is is that there were people, women, kids whomever ripped to pieces by somebody huh right but what happens is so so far back then we didn't have forensic science the way we have now we didn't have the notion even though we had bloody horrible battles and war we still didn't have the notion that a human being would do this to another human being this is a story of a serial killer the serial killers they would say no a serial killer won't do this they have to be a werewolf instead so they still execute the guy whatever but they say he was a werewolf instead of just a serial killer yeah so this back then they believing someone was possessed by an evil spirit was like probably common practice vampirism werewolves uh, other kinds of monsters and gnomism (laughs) (laughs) he's been on my lawn for too long (laughs) he's a gnome Uh, so yeah so this was inspired by a spate of murders that did actually happen and the hunts were actually real and the hunters brought in and i'm not sure how much embellishment actually i'm sure there's a ton of embellishment 
in this film. But Monty is the my man Friday to the main hunter guy who is a, actually a botanist. He's like a, he would be like a um, now if a government agency had a, a guy that was a specialist like him, he would just be like a park ranger who also dabbled in forensics. But he actually he's an expert on nature. So you're so. telling me that Yogi Bear is a remake of Brotherhood of the Wolf. Uh, Ranger Smith. attacks. But Ranger Smith doesn't have a Mohican with him. Which All is right, Mark Dacosicos is playing the Mohawk character, Monty. Uh, now, this also still hasn't gotten to the point of John Wick quick action or gently quick action or Jackie Chan quick action. How did we what? tolerate so much slow-mo? What is wrong? I cannot even tolerate it now. I don't want any slow-mo unless it's absolutely critical. And well, now... in this movie, there's a lot of that slow-mo stuff. I was going to ask you, what do you think of the martial arts action in this? Cut, 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 move, move, move. Slow, slow, slow. It's But it gets better. That's the weirdest thing. It's almost as if he... Okay, I was going to say scene dailies, but you know what? I, I, I paused for a second because I realized something when I got to the end of the movie. Do you realize every fight sequence is different? Yeah. Shot different? Yeah. stage different yeah different styles of fighting yeah that's what impressed me. so by the end when when he has his final fight scene he is on a brutal rampage and it's all quick it's very interesting the movie i remember being kind of bored when i saw it first yeah i thought I, it was too long and then, and then uh, spoiler the castle gets taken out about three quarters of the way through and i was mad because i was like all right the ethnic guy gets taken out how typical of this kind of movie but i was truly in intrigued this time i love the story i love all the actors the layers that were going on it and and just the way that christoph gans just a lot of these epic movies have a problem with repetition actually a lot of movies like martial arts movies they have repetition that's the problem with a lot of scott acting stuff is that it seems like it's the same exact thing over and over and over because budgets restrict a lot of times really creative directors like with steve wang and drive he used his limitations as a benefit he would create set pieces and that's what i love about the jack chan movies is the set pieces are just as critical as the way they fight they use the sets as characters almost michael, and that's what they do what i'm proud of you why did i say little something baby, smart little baby michael's growing up why? i'm I, because you're like that guy who is like i'm an adrenaline jockey and you watch all these garbage action movies and you wouldn't bat an eye to this sort of thing and and, and actually appreciate it like you said the first time you watched it you were bored this time you watched it you were enthralled yes so uh, you're growing up you better send me a, a cake <laughs> <laughs> No, it's, it's, and I have a problem with a lot of foreign films, but Kung Fu movies have gotten better. Yes. And the only ones, the only ones from the 80s and 90s that stand out are the ones that are unique and weird and um, off kilter. I mean, there's only a handful, really. I'm so past my Van Damme days and Seagal days and, you know, just whatever direct-to-video canon stuff, Imperial Entertainment kind of stuff. It has to have something unique to make it different. If it doesn't have the acting, it doesn't have the budget, budget, the budget, <laughs> the budget, um, it better have something creative and unique. It, it yeah. has to change up. I will not even stomach a tournament film anymore unless it has unique set pieces. I cannot stand, oh, you had $500,000, you have a pit or a ring, and that's it. It's just going to be random yeah, fighting. Yeah. Can't. How anybody could hold Bloodsport up in this, like, greatest films of all time? There's a lot of just stuff that people saw when they were a child, and they just hold on to it. They lock they on, don't, yeah. They do not shift from it. This is one of the things that um, I've noticed over the years doing the show with you. You begin to shift. It's amazing, where I'm like, no nostalgia, and you're like, yes, nostalgia. And I'm like, no. And then I'm shifting back to, yeah, I kind of, I kind of do and 
enjoy a little bit of nostalgia sometimes. And you're like, yeah. I can't hold on to the nostalgia anymore. <laughs> it's like this weird I, compromise well, between us. Hopefully the person who's going to listen to this, I'm not going to say a name, but there's a certain person who holds every single thing as the greatest thing they've ever seen in their life. It's a classic. I'm like, just because it's old doesn't mean it's a classic. Yeah. Stop so, it. <laughs> so I really think uh, Brotherhood of the Wolf is definitely necessary to watch. Um, yeah, and now I want to see Silent Hill. My sister rented it. She said it was great. My, I think my sister has better taste in movies than I do. I'm just telling <laughs> you. She, she has better music taste. I, I sit. I think about the music that she exposed me to and the music I exposed her to. When we po- build a list, I'm like, Harvey Danger and... Oof, that's bad. That's bad. I, no, 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 no. And then she, I'll look at the list of music that she's... Oh, yeah, I'll, that, that's great. She's the one who got me to watch Amelie. I mean, Gosh, I just, yeah. So, dude, she, speaking yeah, so, of gnomes, Amelie. <laughs> uh, all right, final film. Cradle to the Grave. You ever see a black diamond? I want my stones, Mr. Fate. You're not going to be able to do that. The stones are not what you think they are. Break out the heat. Rated R. Now, I suggested this thing, and you were like, no. And I was like, I just saw it for the, I just saw it for the first time this year on HBO. And I was floored. I don't go near hip hop action movies because. What about, what, 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 what about Man of the Iron Fist? Do you count that? No, and no, I have I have that I think on Voodoo, but it's a dumb movie. It's really bad, and he's a bad actor. The man with the Iron Fist is a bad actor. Yes, the movie might it's be weird. fine. Yeah, it's but... our it's all right. It's I I don't I don't. No, that's not what I'm talking about. That's literally a love letter to Wu-Tang type movies anyway, since it's made by a Wu-Tang member. But hip-hop action movies are notoriously bad. Yes, especially if they're produced by Ron Silver or Joel Silver. So, Joel Silver. So they're just notoriously bad. There's a lot of insincerity. There's a lot of bad acting. There's a lot of... It's just bad. And here, this is the second one. Romeo Must Die is the first, and it's... I didn't see it. I didn't bother. But this was on HBO. And I got access to HBO. I watched it. And I was like, I'm just going to watch this one to sort of make fun of DMX and his bad acting. Which isn't really in this movie. That's other stuff that DMX does. He's not terribly bad in this. Yeah, it's it's the, tr- the trilogy of those programmers that uh, Joel Silver produced. Which were like $25 million hip-hop influenced martial arts films. Uh, Romeo Must Die I saw in the theaters. And I remember walking point why do they use cgi on jet lee do they know he's jet lee ah <laughs> uh, explain that sir there is an action sequence where they speed him up they have him sitting sideways with a, uh, like a fire hose i haven't seen it in so long and they enhance they sped it up they use i swear to god they cgi his face on someone else it doesn't look right it's weird the movie huh. is it doesn't russell wong is fine in it and he's kind of underrated he's like one of those guys who is an actor but also does martial arts so yeah really categorizing that it's okay I hated Exit Wounds. I watched it recently because I hate myself. Um, <laughs> D- DMX. When DMX outacts Seagal, you know there's something up when Seagal's leaving. Right. It's also. Seagal. And, and I feel like Tom Arnold comes in on a few of these, and he's in this one as well. So Cradle yeah. to the Grave, I remember watching, and I was kind of disappointed by it because I think by that point I had such a bad taste in my mouth in the previous two films that when you suggested it, I was like, no. No! And I'm like, dude, it's got Hong Kong-style action all over it. Uh, Okay, previous one also was China Strike Force. Oh, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. We talked about doing that one. I really... I enjoy we gotta that touch one, on I, it, but yeah. uh, that also has another bad rapper actor, Coolio. <laughs> I like to raise that. But it's it's, an, it's a Mark Dacascos, Aaron Kwok movie. It's not a Coolio movie. That is yeah. the that is the American market tie to get right. Pretty much all the people that like kung fu, which 
it's been known that black audiences love kung fu movies ever since you know the 70s they latched on to that oh um, last dragon black the last Jones. dragon i was gonna say it last dragon was like the love letter to that the culture loving those movies and so if they were trying to do that in the late 90s and early 2000s you know trying to bring jet lee in uh, yeah you, you remember volcano high have you heard Never. of that no, I don't okay. know Okay, if Volcano High is a Korean high school action kung fu epic, but MTV got a hold of it, had all of the actors redubbed by black actors. Right. Snoop Dogg's a guy, Tracy Morgan's Wait, a guy. On. So was it a joke? Was it like the way they, they did it? With... They changed the story. Yes, they changed the story a little bit. Some of the details. They kept it mostly the bones of the story down, but they em- had homeboy embellishments all throughout, overdubbing, of Korean actors, MTV. Okay. So this Weird. is the market that they're trying to hit. All right. And cradle to the grave i was just it was just a fluke and i like jet lee so i just put it on and jet lee is a super agent looking for these black diamonds but they're not really black diamonds what are they they're some sort of fuel fuel yeah condensed plutonium or something like that yeah so the black diamonds are on the market and guess who steals them the costcos no he wants them right wait hold on the dmx yeah dmx and his crew steal them and DMX and his crew are like super competent thieves, and it's pretty great. I like that. Uh, instead of bungling and bumbling, like Anthony Anderson's like the only one that's any sort of goof off. And it's him and Tom Arnold that do the riffing. And Tom Arnold is a guy who's the fence, right? Uh-huh. So that's the whole deal with that. And Jet Li's whole pur- purpose is to, his whole purpose too, is to find these jewels and get them back out of the hands of an arms dealer which is Mark DeCoscos. But why is this on the list? Mark DeCoscos doesn't chew up scenery with his lines of dialogue. No, what, what's important is he got this because everybody was talking about him after Brotherhood of the Wolf. And this is supposed to be kind of like a little bit of a breakthrough. I wish he was in more of it because I feel like yeah. man, he's only in maybe 10 minutes of it. This so is what I like. This is what I like. Beautiful 10 minutes. <laughs> It's amazing, Tim. Yeah, I think he's really sinister in it. Is this the first time he played a villain? I think. Yeah, unless you consider Boogie Boy, in which he's not a good guy, but he's not a bad guy either. He's just got that that weird line, which is that the style for those movies, those those Pulp Fiction influence kind of movies. No, I, what I like about it is Jet Li is freed from that CGR garbage. It's it's you know yeah. not so much hardly any wire. Is there any wire at all? Uh, yeah, there's some, but not in the. Obvious I, I think way. it. I, I yeah, it's not too obvious, but I <laughs> not think... in the way exit wounds where they're trying to lift Steven Seagal off the ground. You can see the guys holding the wire struggling to move oh. to the side. So ridiculous. Um, yeah, but, don't like um, to by but that. The fight in the rain at the end with the Costco's is some fantastic. It is phenomenal. It's so good. It's like one of the better, and, and because you get to see the fight, well, and the... it doesn't have too much insane editing, and when yeah. they do edit, it's smooth. I also want to give credit to Gabrielle Union and uh, Kelly Who. I thought their action sequence, even though Kelly it's cliche, Who? it's always a cliche to have the girl go over to the girl, and it always makes yeah, my eyes. But given that, the action sequence is actually pretty good. Yeah, and Kelly Hu is awesome, too. They should always have Kelly Hu do Well, she's probably older now, and she probably doesn't want to do too much chop socks. No, I mean, what, was, what was the one that she was in that I suggested we didn't do? Tournament. I thought she was great at that. Yeah. Uh, um, Segway, sorry. Uh, yeah. Okay, next movie is Codename the Cleaner, which we'll never see, so end. <laughs> oh, oh, wait. Have I'll you just, seen it? Let, no, but let's, let's end on this, and I'm not going to oh. tell you what the title is because I don't remember it. I did watch it all the way through, and there was one scene that had any kind of decent action in it. The rest was junk. 
and this makes me sad, but we can't just exalt our heroes. We have to make them human, and here's a human. Mark DeCosicos directed a movie, and it's oh, garbage. I heard. Yeah. It's a bad movie, and it's somewhat like an Expendables yeah. motif, and it has yeah. Cynthia Rothrock show up, and it has, and I couldn't, I, I could not recognize her because her hair is weird and like colorful, like Comic Con girl. It's it was, it's really weird. Wait, is that is that that's Cynthia? Wait, what? And these are all, all the prestige uh, early '90s kung fu actors that are not Asian. <laughs> <laughs> okay, uh, like no, Cynthia this, Rothrock's not Asian. Those... She has done some phenomenal work in the Hong Kong action scene arena and it's not great but his scene his one scene where he's in it he takes on some dudes and it's a pretty good and brutal scene it's like doesn't pull away it's not bad it's it could be framed better but the action itself is like oh whoa haven't seen mark costas do that and then you see him in john wick i can't talk about john wick because you won't let me nope negative but, nine though i honestly thought that was gonna be the end of the franchise i honestly thought it was supposed to be set up in this trilogy i am wrong no, there's going to be a series, a TV series called The Continental, circulating, oh, cool. uh, focusing on the hotel with Keanu Reeves having a couple of appearances in the show, yeah. and there's more it, places to go. It's it, the, the bummer movies. part is it does seem like the last uh, Cradles of the Grave and Codename Cleaner, the only studio movies he got after that. He got a little bit of heat. He did a couple in, you know, independent movies like The Nomad and stuff like I'll that. I'll tell you, he's you've never seen him do what he does in John Wick. You have okay. never seen him do acting the way oh, he does. Okay. The character that he plays, you've never seen him do anything like that. And you've never seen the action. Yeah. But what I was going to say is, it just seems like a lot of it is like he dropped immediately after that. He started doing like this stuff for Asylum. And, you know, I don't know. It just seemed like he was, I mean, he wasn't getting the offers. Or maybe he just wanted to do something unique every time so he doesn't get bored, which can happen to a lot of action stars. Right, right. You know, just try to show range. He did. He was the big bad on Y five O for like five seasons. Hmm. So he he just he does unusual stuff here and there, but it does seem kind of a bummer that now it does seem like a lot of these martial arts movies are direct to video made for Russia. You know, it's like yeah, Russia. That's a what big, you were telling me. I'm like, uh, what? But yeah, Russia's a so huge MMA huge yeah. MMA audience. So they love they love that last Universal Soldier for some reason. It's so brutal. Yeah. So you were telling me that you did an interview moments ago. Just now, I actually split myself up into two parallel universes. I recorded two episodes of the same. Exact time. We'll preface it. Oh well, I got Scott Phillips, the writer of my favorite martial arts movie of all time, Drive, to tell me about how he came up with the script. You know how he started off in Hollywood, and you know the way the movie changed from the the cut you saw in America for a long time, the director's cut, and you know the aftermath, how like trying to set up a sequel or continuation with them, and you know that that the whole idea of like what it was like for him to be there making that. Right. So surprise, listener, you've got bonus content. First time we were done. Yeah. Oh, Oh yeah. Amazing. It's coming right up, right after we shut up, which is right about... Hey everybody, it's the first time we've ever done a video night bonus feature. This episode, we're discussing the films of Mark Dacascos. And as I think everybody knows, if you pay attention to my social media, my favorite martial arts movie of all time is Drive from 1997 with Kadeem Hardison, Mark Dacascos, directed by Steve Wang, and written by my guest this episode. I got way too excited. I never get that excited. Uh, Scott Phillips. <laughs> Man, nobody gets that excited about me, so I'm not sure you got the right Scott Phillips. <laughs> I'm not the drummer from Creed. <laughs> is that is there the drummer from Creed's named Scott Phillips? Too? Oh God, uh, yeah, yeah, and and also the guy who wrote the Ice Harvest. And I can always tell 
if someone has the wrong Scott Phillips based on their level of enthusiasm upon meeting. Yes. Well, <laughs> if they're okay. like really excited, it's like wrong guy, wrong guy. I, I have no ill will against Ice Harvest, but for me, Drive is just the top of the charts for me. And you've seen it. I posted like my top movies in 1997, but boom. Yeah. It's in <laughs> That's there. awesome, man. Thanks. That's great. I, uh, <laughs> I discovered this movie in the weirdest way. Back when you had HBO where it was all fuzzy and cut out, yes. I just... Sometimes it would come in better than others. Yes, I know most people went there to watch Shannon. <laughs> but I knew it was Friday night. And Friday night is when they always had these great action and sci-fi movies just kind of under the radar. Didn't get really, uh, released like in theaters. And I couldn't completely tell what was going on. But I was like, whatever this is, this is rad. I had to go find out. I found a, a TV guy that told me what it was. And then I had to wait, I think, a year for it to hit video. And after that, I just showed it to all my friends. This is like my party movie that I showed my <laughs> friends. If you want to see what I'm into, it's this. And like my three go-tos were Drive, Bad Moon, and uh, The Wrong Guy with Dave Foley. If you want like different tastes of genres. <laughs> wow. And all these movies, they were kind of like under the radar, but they all have cult following. And yeah. I'm just curious, how did you even start off making them? Uh, it was a spec script. I, I wrote it. I was uh, I used to own a video store in Albuquerque called Wavy Brain uh, back in 1993 and 1994, and uh, I uh, you know I specialized in like Hong Kong action movies and monster movies and all that kind of stuff. And I had been writing scripts all along, but I decided I wanted to write something that kind of combined American action with with Asian action. And uh, my original idea was that it would be Sylvester Stallone and Jackie Chan. <laughs> And there's a line in the movie that didn't get changed when they cast Mark and Kadeem, where uh, the bad guy says, shoot the big guy, not the little guy. They're both the same size. <laughs> I wondered about so, that. <laughs> but, uh, but, yeah, I wrote the script while I, uh, I guess, actually, I sold the store and then uh, wrote the script and then moved out to L.A. And, like, within a few months, I had sold the, the script. And what's really funny is at my video store, I had... Uh, Kung Fu Rascals, which is the first movie that Steve Lang directed, and I had just gotten a copy of uh, Guyver Dark Hero, the the, the, the second, second Guyver yeah. movie. Yeah, and uh, while I was watching that, I was like, man, it would be really cool if Steve Lang wound up directing... The, the script at the time was called Road to Ruin, and I was like, man, it would be cool if he wound up directing Road to Ruin. And just everything fell into place, man. <laughs> and, it's, and, and it's all near Steve, but it just... Fell into his lap at the right time, and everything worked out. So yeah, it was awesome. I, I, uh, the Giver was one of those I caught. I think I want to say it was on Joe Bob. I know it was late on like team something like that. And I was like, this is something different than the rest of the martial arts movie. And it, it does seem like Kismet because your your movie is different than a lot of martial arts films because it's it dives into different genres. It has a lot of heart to it. it. It focuses on the characters as much as the action. Did you have to modify the script to fit more action? Um, we we changed some of it because Steve wanted to do more uh, martial arts stuff, and I you know I was trying to mix like car chases and all this kind of stuff, but we also couldn't really afford to do car chases. So uh, uh, we, in fact, in the in the the shooting script, we had removed a big car chase and just slugged in this thing that said, "This is going to be a cool fight scene. Trust us." And basically, it was a case of finding a location, which was the gravel yard with it fight takes place where they're handcuffed together mm -hmm. so that the dialogue for that scene was in the script but the fight the fight scene and the location wasn't it was pretty weird but but uh you know so there were changes i mean me and steve did rewriting together on it and stuff so 
but the, the character stuff was always there because that's kind of my my main thing when I write stuff is I, I really get into the characters and, and I really wanted to have more kind of humor and, and, uh, and like you said heart I think than, than what you tend to see in a lot of yeah, I think, like lower budget action stuff well I think a lot of the times with the martial arts movies they make them stoic which yes yeah it, it, it kind of like the spaghetti western format where it's just like you know uh, as few words as possible but you have to learn much about them yeah cool, they look cool but what I like is that I can connect to the characters like I can see bits and pieces of myself even in the villain by John Piper Far- uh, Ferguson is so funny in it I could see myself if I was a bad guy that I would say like that ridiculous little dialogue and, and that's why you connect to almost everybody in that movie and um, I just it, it seems so strange did, did Neo Motion Pictures they're the ones who funded it they're usually like uh, a smaller budget company that does to sell internationally those movies don't tend to have a lot of dialogue did they talk to you guys about maybe cutting it and then you fought against it or did they just let it go um geez now I'm trying to remember uh, there, there really wasn't um, much of that sort of thing going on with it. I mean, we had to cut some stuff out uh, just basically for budgetary reasons. Cause the budget, I think the, the final budget was like four and a half million. Um, but uh, yeah, they were, they actually seemed like really pleased with the, the, the dialogue and the character stuff. They wound up cutting some of that stuff out. I don't know if you've seen uh, the director's cut. I have. Movie. Yeah. Yeah. And it's got, it's got a little more backstory with Mark's character, but overall they, they seemed into it which was really cool were the cuts more by them or was it by apex uh it was it was them it, it was you know there's like a long sad story about the the movie screening at the uh, which is the italian film market and it was the director's cut that screened and i don't remember the whole story on this but apparently there a lot of companies uh wanted to pick it up for theatrical release and the guy that ran uh overseas film group it was overseas and neo that did the movie together um apparently decided that he'd get even more money for it and if he made it more like mortal Kombat, so okay so he cut like you know 15 or 20 minutes out and then had that terrible techno score slapped onto it instead of the orchestral score that's on the uh the director's cut it makes a lot more sense now i've always wondered about that because the movie I forgot. The first time I didn't, I, I apologize, it wasn't on HBO. That's the first time I saw pieces of it. But I remember on Entertainment Tonight, there was a piece, and they were saying it was the first American movie, but, you know, Chinese-style kung fu flu, and that they were trying to position it as a Jackie Chan movie, not as a Mortal Kombat movie. So that's interesting. Yeah, yeah. It's it's kind of a, a sad story about the way that all went. Apparently, we could have had a theatrical release, but then when he brought back this bastardized version of the movie none of them wanted it they no. were like this isn't the movie that we bid on you know so well, at that's least, i was gonna say at least it all... found an audience because you know it, oh, yeah. it, the thing is it could have happened anywhere because this is the kind of movie that seemed like maybe something that dimension pictures would have picked up when they first started out they were doing a lot of kung fu flicks yeah like, there was talk of that actually yeah. while we were shooting so it was you know we were all like really excited about that and then it all fell apart but but yeah, I mean, it's amazing the audience it's found. I mean, I don't think a month goes by that somebody doesn't contact me and tell me, you know, how much they dig it, and, you know, or I find a new review of it online or yeah. something where someone's just discovered it. The um... but yeah, talking talking about the character stuff though, that's one of the things that made me so happy when 
with Cy Young with three, you know, with, with Mark Dacascos in it, is that they let him have personality as a bad guy instead of just being a total badass. Yeah, you know? it's, it's interesting. I, I The trifecta of martial arts guys that have legitimate acting skills that have never really got to break out were Dacascos, Michael Jai White, and Scott Atkins. And, I mean, martial arts fans know them, but mainstream audiences don't. And yeah. I, I think it's strange because they embrace, especially during Mark Dacascos, era he was the uh the yin to the super macho uh monosyllabic what is the word monosyllabic uh yeah. <laughs> uh yang of like you know the the seagulls and van damme Dolph Lundgren and stuff like that so i i really thought that he's gonna break out because those movies are very appealing for some reason i just don't know why the audience yeah yeah it's uh it's really strange but yeah i'm, I'm really glad that uh, he's getting as much attention as he is you know, recently, and especially with John Wick 3. He's so good in that movie. Well, we finally got Crying Freeman on Amazon after waiting a couple of decades, which I don't know yeah. what that was about. That seems... Yeah, that was insane. And uh, Drive is now on Amazon, but that's a, that's the original cut. I, I would love to see... I had the uh, the import for a long time, but I, Money Troubles, I had to sell it. But that is a lavish production for a deep... It's a two-disc oh, yeah. set, tons of special features, Deline's commentaries. At least you, you must have been happy to at least see that out there. Oh, yeah, yeah. Yeah, definitely. And, you know, because I think, I think there's only one existing print of, of the director's cut, and it's sitting in Steve Wang's closet, you know? So I, I, I keep hoping that with this continued attention... That the movie is getting, and you know that maybe somebody like Shout Factory or someone yeah. will pick up the director's cut and release it over here. I was gonna say we are in the era of boutique labels. People are hungry for those kind of movies that have been either lost or um, you know just like um, you know when it came out originally, the studio they ignored it. And, you know special features and you know, Shout Factory like that, Vinegar Syndrome, companies like that are just wonderful uh, updates. You know, and the prints up and I love that. Yeah, yeah, me too. I can't. Yeah, it was so depressing. <laughs> yeah, me neither. Yeah, it was so depressing when Drive came out on DVD because at the time I was living in LA and I used to go to this store called Dave's Laser Video all the time. I was like, you know, because like everybody should Johnny Ramone shop there, the Drew Carey and all these people. Like, man, my movie's going to be in Dave's Laser Video. And then when it came out, they didn't have it. And what? I asked what was what was up, and they said, oh, we don't stock stuff that Apex releases. <laughs> so I had to go to Tower Records and get it. That was weird because Apex seems like one of the lower level of those direct-to-video kind of companies. Yeah. And it seemed like they were trying to fight legitimacy right when Drive was coming out. Like, if you look at the movies they were doing in that last chunk, those were higher level. But I think it was immediately after they went out of business that like DVD was very sought after. And I found some at uh, OnQ, which I don't know if we had those out on the West Coast. I'm from Indiana. Um, OnQ, they had a pile of them for five bucks a piece. Oh, jeez. And I grabbed a handful, and those became Christmas gifts. <laughs> <laughs> cool. <laughs> I'm serious. I love this movie. And um, it, it is – do, who has the rights uh, currently? Uh, I'm not sure anybody actually knows that right now. <laughs> it's got to be somebody because... to snag it up. Yeah, and I, I mean, uh, yeah, I don't know who owns the rights to the actual movie, and I don't know who owns the release, the video release rights at this point, because, you know, Apex went bankrupt or something, and then I think they reformed as a different company, and then they released the movie again, and uh, with, like, a you know different cover art, and then I, I think it went out of print again, and I don't think it's been in print since then huh. and overseas is so, done right they're not around you i think they're still around but um the head of the I, i'm honestly not sure but i know the head of the company died maybe a year or so ago so i'm not 
really sure what this. Okay. Oh, are we talking about Samuel Hadida? Was that his company? Uh, Robbie Little was the guy. That oh, okay. Um, overseas. The uh, was there ever planned to go beyond the first move of the series, or was that kind of a one and done? Yeah, you know, there was. There was. We actually wrote a treatment for a sequel. Nice. Um, that took place all in L.A. and all kinds of crazy. I mean, we were writing in like characters that were kind of like living McFarlane action figures, you know, with like, you know, chainsaw arms and stuff. Okay. <laughs> all this crazy shit. And uh, I guess like, again, it was more stuff with, with the guy from overseas where for whatever reason, even though it had done really well, especially in foreign markets, he just just kind of blew it off, the idea of doing a sequel. We were like, oh. And then at one point, we were talking about doing a, an American remake of Mr. Vampire starring Mark Dean and Brittany Murphy with Steve directing. <laughs> oh, wow, yeah. I forgot, yeah, this is when Brittany Murphy right before she broke out with... Um, yeah. What's the one with Michael Douglas? Uh, oh, crap. I'll never uh. tell. I can't remember, but, you know, don't say a word. <laughs> yeah. That's what it's called, yes, don't say a word. Yeah. The, yeah. Um, yeah, I just remember watching it going, she's so funny, who is this? And my, oh my sister's God, like, so she's good. on the Torkelsons. And I'm like, what's the Torkelsons? <laughs> <laughs> so, I know, me and my sister had different audiences at the time, so I was kind of surprised. But I also showed her this movie. Um, I actually, I don't know if I've showed you this, but in college, there is a, a wall, uh, a, a picture of my wall that I had in my apartment. And there is a drive poster on the back of it with yes, that face. Yes, <laughs> I remember seeing that. That's awesome. <laughs> yeah, it's. Um, I, I'm really glad that this has built an audience for a long time. I remember working at Blockbuster in 99, and I had people like, oh, wait, what's a good martial arts movie? <clears throat> Let me show you. <laughs> and I was like, I've already exhausted the Wu-Tang collection that you guys have here and all the Jackie Chans. I'm like, oh, you like Jackie Chan? Well, here you go. <laughs> yeah, it's it's that, that's another thing that drove me crazy is that Apex, the original uh, cover that they did for the DVD and the VHS, with like Mark wearing the jeans and the T-shirt instead of the outfit that he wears in the movie, and he's like sprawled on the hood of the car with two guns. And yeah, it's, it's like, like they're trying to sell the John Woo movie. That's yeah, because yeah. that's not exactly his character. Yeah, not at all. <laughs> the um, two questions I have to ask real quick uh, before we go. Uh, what's up with the frog? I, is that from something else? Because I know it uses a Star uh, Fox sound, no. but it's so fascinating. <laughs> yeah, I just, I, you know, I wrote, when I was writing the script, I wrote in all these little TV shows that, that they're watching all the time, like Bash the Bastard, the game show with the, the women hitting the guys with the baseball bats. And in the script, uh, it was Willie the Einstein ape. But, the, but again, the guy from Overseas Film Group, he didn't, he didn't believe in hiring actual chimps <laughs> and didn't want to use an animatronic chimp because I thought it would look fake. So Steve Lang was like, Walter the Einstein frog. So we changed it to this big rubber frog puppet and everybody freaking loves the thing. But it's like, okay, you were concerned about a fake chimp looking fake and here's this frog with Einstein's brain grafted to its head. So, you know, it's just, it's nuts. But, uh, yeah, Walter kind of has his own following. It's so fat. I keep watching it going, what is this? I need to know where this came from. Yeah, it was just a goofy idea, you know. And I mean, the, I, it's been so long since I looked at the original script, but I'm pretty sure that the the actual episodes didn't change much when it, you know, became Walter the Einstein Frog as opposed to Willie the Einstein <laughs> but, but, uh, And that's, that's me as the president's son. <laughs> the one with the doctors. And uh, my second and final question is, are you there for the action sequence? I was there a, a little bit. Um, 
I didn't get to be on the set as much as I wanted to because at the time my mom was sick, so I was back and oh. forth. But but uh, I was there for some of the stuff in the uh, the garage at the the hotel and uh, uh, a little bit of other stuff. But uh, it makes me so mad I wasn't there for all of it. Well, I'm just it curious. It was so much fun to watch those guys. I've never been on a set. I, I, I kind of have a general idea of how movies are made. Um, but when it comes to a movie like this, where it's on a very short shooting schedule and a, and a tight budget, which always surprised me that you guys were able to do this little. Um, do they have two uh, crews going at once? Like, do they have people doing yeah. fight sequences? Okay, because I was like, how did you compress that much action time? So you have well, one team really... shooting all that while everybody else is shooting some other, something else. Yeah, well, what's, what's really amazing is that Steve did his own... He, he shot... All the stuff with the actors and everything during the day, and then we shoot fight scenes at night. My God! And I mean, he would sleep like an hour here oh. and there. <laughs> okay. That's somehow, crazy. somehow managed to father a child during the course of all this. Does he remember and, doing uh, this? <laughs> I'm not sure. What but, happened? Yeah, they would, they would, uh, they would basically just, you know, let the regular crew go and then shoot nights and stuff. And uh, it's just, I, th- I think he even operated his own camera for it. I'm not sure. There's some of that stuff that looks like people got hurt. I still the most badass yeah, moment, the most badass moment in any martial arts movie I've ever seen in my life, and I think someone else brought this up recently, was the fact that Mark Dacascos doesn't stop a motorcycle with I don't know uh, a two by four or you know just say, no he does it with his thigh or no his shin and you're like yeah. oh my god he knocks the guy off the motorcycle the motorcycle flips he flips off and you're like oh that is the and he doesn't seem like, you know, one of those hardcore big guys, but he sells that <laughs> moment. Oh, yeah. Yeah, and then the uh, the guy, the, the way he comes off that bike and hits that pillar and slides down onto the back of his neck. Oh. And I think I think that guy went to the hospital yeah. I won't be surprised, <laughs> so, yeah. but it's all for our entertainment. I feel like it's a gladiator kind of thing. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I think all of those, uh, that whole stunt team uh, and just everybody involved, they were like... They, they were determined to just like really sell it, and I think I think they were actually hitting each other a lot of the time too. <laughs> oh yeah, that's the the thing that they put like what white powder or dust on their yeah, jackets, yeah. whatever, and you so you can see the contact, and then like yeah. that is impressive. <laughs> yeah, those guys were great. The uh, seriously, guys, if you haven't seen Drive, you have to check this movie out. It is amazing. It's up on Amazon. Um, director's cut. <clears throat> YouTube, uh, but hopefully we get it on a special edition. Um, is there anything you want to plug before we go? Uh, well, I mean, you know, if you want me to plug something, I can plug the series of uh, vampire books I've been writing called Peach Drinker of Blood. <laughs> That's a good title. They're kind of similar in tone. They're kind of similar in tone to Drive. It's it's vampire stuff set in Hollywood, and they're funny and have crazy shit going on and monsters and all this stuff, and you can get them on Amazon. Right. Now, there's four of the series so far, and I'm working on the fifth one now. Gotcha. You tweet, or you know, obviously you're on Facebook, but there might be a lot of Scott Fulton. You tweet at all? Uh, I, I've got like a Twitter account, but I can't even remember what my log is. Honestly, <laughs> sometimes it's okay. Facebook, I, is the, Facebook is the best way to find me. It is. It's weird because I have people who live solely on Twitter, and they barely touch their Facebook. I'm the exact opposite. I go on Twitter, and I post something I think is going to be really funny or in-depth, <laughs> and I get like one like. And then you go to Facebook, and there's conversations about it. We're all you know, deconstructing. Well, yeah. you know, what's this all about? It's weird. And Twitter seems like anger. 
The Facebook, it's like, hey, how's it going? What you up to? You know, that kind of thing. Social media is yeah, weird, yeah. but it's so necessary. It is. It's a necessity. I have to do the show. You use it to promote your books and stuff like that. Of course, also check out his IMDb. There's a long catalog of cool cult films there. Uh, most are available, right? Uh, yeah, I think so. I mean, a lot of them are available on like streaming stuff. And like the the little low budget zombie movie I made, The Speaker Flesh, is actually going to be re released soon uh, on DVD and streaming. So cool. That'll be available again. All right. Well, thank you very much for doing this episode with me. Oh, you bet, man. Thank you. I'm Again, I'm just constantly amazed that, you know, here we are 22 years later and people are still talking about the book. You it, know, it's, it's yeah, really gratifying. It's you you and Steve Wang. You just had this energy together. It's light. And, it, I think anybody could watch this because even like the crazy part where you chop his arm off and it goes fly in the air, <laughs> it's done in such a, a comedic tone that it's not a gross out. It doesn't. It's yeah. not. It's not vulgar. Well, that was something. Yeah. That was something I wanted to take out of the movie, and Steve fought for it. He insisted on it, so. and everybody loves that scene. Yeah, it's it's not vulgar. It doesn't have a lot of sex in it and stuff like that. This is the kind of movie, and I think I did show this to my parents, and they're like, cool. <laughs> That's cool. All right, all right. So uh, after this, hopefully you'll be hearing the rest of the episode. If not, this is a bonus feature at the end. I probably should have discussed this with my co-host first. Awkward. <laughs> <laughs> all right, thank you, Scott. You bet. Thank you. Thank you.